Welcome to the Fayetteville Fire Podcast, where we talk about all things fire-related, safety tips, and things that are happening in our can-do city. I'm Don Cheetah, Captain Community Risk Reduction, and I'll be your host for the podcast. Between 2015 and 2019, Christmas tree fires caused an annual average of one civilian death, 28 injuries, and $13 million in property damage. We'll talk more about this later in our safety message of the month. On our last show, we said that this show is going to be about planning and research, but we got a very special guest today, Chief of the Fayetteville Fire Department, Mike Hill. Welcome, Chief Hill. Hey, good afternoon. So it's great to have you. Um, For those of you that don't know, Chief Hill has announced that uh, December 31st of 2023 will be your retirement date. Yeah, that's that's great. Congratulations. Coming up quick? It is. Time is flying by. (laughs) It is, and I'm sure you haven't slowed down at all. No, no, no. We're still, we're still charging hard and trying to, you know, get some projects closed out as, as, as much as we can before that day comes. So. Right. So what got you in the fire service? Well, I'll say um, I grew up in the Cumberland County Fire Service. My dad was a volunteer in um, Community of Wade where I grew up. So, um, you know, that um, the spirit of community service was instilled early in us. And in the community fire department, it's in a family affair. So we spent a lot of time you know, me and my brother both, as we were growing up at the fire station, um, I often joke that um, by the time that I was uh, old enough to officially join the fire department at 16, I was probably better trained than some of the um, recruits that that we bring in here today to, 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 to Fayetteville. So, so it was a, a family affair. Um, odd thing, though, it was never really on my radar as a career choice. It was just a hobby, you yeah. know, but... Uh, um, Hey, you know, as with a lot of things in life, plan, you know, things don't go as we plan. You know, there, there, there's a higher, higher power that's in charge, and um, I'm definitely an example of that. Yes, sir. I, I can relate to that. Uh, after I got out of the Army, I didn't imagine being a firefighter for a career, and here I am 27 years later. Yeah, it's kind of it's funny how fate intervened. Um, I've always um, had a career goal to be a wildlife enforcement officer. I don't think, you know, that was a secret. And in junior high school, um, there was a job shadowing program opportunity to come up, and we had to write down first, second, third choice of career fields we want to go in. And I, I put that, you know, well, a game warden is my first choice, and firefighter was somewhere on the list. Well, as the, um, as the proctors were going through and making selections, the Fayetteville Fire Department had an, had an opening, that's where I was assigned. So um, I got to spend a day in junior high school riding around with um, – um, who was then battalion chief R.C. Wiggins? You remember oh, working, yes. working with him, and you know who would have thought? You know, forty years later, that I would be sitting in this position today. That's crazy. That's cool. And yeah, I, I could see you being a wildlife officer because you're a very uh, much a fisherman and hunter. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I do. That 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 is my passion. Yeah, that, that I can relate to that also. So, when did you start with the Fayetteville Fire Department? Um, 1993. 1993. Yeah. Um, again, following my career goals um, in, into a law enforcement field, went to school, um, majoring in criminal justice. Um, was working part-time at, at several other fire departments. Um, getting ready to graduate, I applied everywhere, um, Fayetteville being one of them. I had a, actually had a, a job interview the same fire department the same week as the Fayetteville Police Department. And um, the fire department just called first and... Um, it came into the department still not, not really planning on staying, but it was you know a great stopgap employment opportunity um, for me. And just fell in love with the culture of the fire department, the you know the brotherhood and the job and the uh, the shift life that we you know that, that we all enjoy. And uh, 
I guess from then there, I was hooked. Used to enjoy, right? <laughs> Used to enjoy. We talked about that the other day. The the daytime thing look cuts a little bit in them hobbies from what shift life was. Yeah, that that's the truth. So, what was your first assignment? Um, I was assigned to um, Station One downtown on on Bow Street, uh, one of the last stations. You know, we joke about it. They actually had the brass poles that we slide down, and um, you know, you always remember your first assignment. And, and I yeah. think, like I said, the culture of, of you know of the firefighters that were assigned there at that time. That's that's really what hooked me to stay in this for for a career. And I can relate. Um, back in the day, before we got so many stations, we you know became such a large department. Pretty much all new firefighters went to Central Station, Station One. Right. I mean, I know I was assigned there when when I got here in '97, and you were still rotating in and out between there and uh, getting into the hazmat team. Yeah, it did. I'm. I'm um, I say I live a you know sheltered career early on. I spent the majority of my time with the department when I was on shift in Battalion One. I would you know able to rotate between Station One, Station Two, and Station Three as I would promote. It just seemed like it, you know I was just in, in that cycle. Go to Hazmat, they would move the Hazmat team back to back downtown. It's just you know it's like being in a washing machine. You <laughs> yeah, know, right. You know couldn't get out of. So I did spend the most of my um, suppression career in Battalion One in the you know in, in the downtown Murkison Road. Ramsey Street area. And, and I think uh, a lot of people that I know, and, and as long as we've been a lot, until we became so large in three battalions, a lot of the firefighters either stayed down in Battalion 1 or they stayed out in Battalion 2. There wasn't a whole lot of crisscrossing, so to speak. Um, I think there's a lot more movement now just, just for our sheer size. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for, 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 for sure. And, you know, we... We, we have a lot of attrition. We have a lot of firefighters um, leaving an apartment, moving in an apartment, and that creates the need that, um, you know, we tell everybody, you know, don't get comfortable. Yeah. I think an old uh, an old battalion chief, Danny Matthews, said, be like a cat and keep your stuff in the box. Yeah, I think I've heard that. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit different uh, 25 years ago. You didn't have near the attrition, so you didn't have near the uh, amount of hires per year you know, three to five. I think my the year I got hired, I think there was a total of seven in an entire year. I, I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah. Again, I, I mean, I, I think part of it is generational. Um, you know, employees we see today, we're bringing our recruits in. You know, uh, you know, I really value a, a pension. I, I think people take for granted what value is in you know in a, in a pension related job. It's just to me, it's surprising to hear a lot of the um, young recruits we get in today, and we talk about the the advantages of, of of pensions and some supplemental retirements that we offer, you know, for, for twenty years, and just here to combat. Well, I don't plan on being here twenty years, and you know, just yeah, you know, different generations. You know, the way we come up, that's wherever you you were employed, you were committed to that employer, and that's you know, you were there for life, and that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Yeah, and it's it's not just the fire service. I think it's just the generation whatever job it's you know where where you and i were raised you get into something and fell in love with it and here we are so uh what are some of the different assignments you had in your career i know uh you were at station one when i first come on and then you start rotating in the hazmat yeah i, I did and I, and I tell you when going into the um fire chief selection process that's one of the things i think that really helped me along uh, when I got to that point, I had been assigned to or an, had and or overseen every assignment within the Federal Fire Department. Um, suppression side, I had been assigned to engines, trucks, squads. I'd been assigned to the hazmat team, 
um, to a rescue company. Um, so operationally, there was, you know, I had I had done pretty much all of it. Again, like I said, I spent most of my time rotating in Battalion 1. But then an opportunity um, came about. Um, I was a battalion chief, signed a battalion one, station four, 14, <laughs> had been a battalion chief on shift just a little over a year and got a, you know, very unexpected call to the chief's office. And I was told I was being reassigned, um, to daytime, which was uh, one of the most painful things I'd been through, you know, just, you know, talk about upsetting your life, and, right. you know, uh, swallowing sand spurs is kind of what I, uh, compared it to. Um, but the fire department was, was exploring the accreditation process, and uh, he was the chief Nichols was looking um, for someone to help you know spearhead that that process that project and um, um, like all good soldiers um, you know is I mustered up my reply was yes sir yeah <laughs> and, uh, um, and he did give me the um, you know the the acknowledgement say hey if you'll give me two years in this position I'll let you get back to shift and the accreditation normally was a five year process and um, so I went in with the the team that was being put together and said, all right, you know, guys, we got um, two years to get this five-year project done. Let's, <laughs> let's get to work. So, so that's a good motivation in that. But I think something happened to him. I've always loved the fire department, love working for the fire department. But that exposure in that position, um, being involved in, in, in every aspect of the department and into the inner workings of the city, I fell in love with the fire department Just and, and didn't even realize it. Um, so that was, you know, a great catapult in, t- to my career. And then, um, true to his word, we got accredited in just a little over two years, and um, um, Chief let me go back to shift, back as a battalion chief. But uh, for just a couple months, and then some assistant chief openings were coming available, um, an interim opportunity. And this time I asked to come back to daytime. And, um, you know, f- from then I just um, I steadily moved up in, in administrative assignment as assistant chief, deputy chief, and then ultimately to the fire chief. So, Yeah, that's uh... – when when you first go from shift to daytime, you go kicking and screaming. But <laughs> when you once you get on the daytime side and and start to a, adjust your life, you know, from being off four days during a week, to start to adjust it. It becomes more of a. I mean, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I've enjoyed the the time of being with family during the holidays and the weekends, and you know, a lot a lot of things when you're on shift. I'd go shopping all you know. You go shopping all day while your spouse is at work and. Right. It, it, was, it was nice to do things together a lot more. Yeah, I mean, there's some benefits there. Um, one of the hardest adjustments I had was sleeping. You know, I'd spent the last 15 years of my life sleeping every other night. And then to be home and be able to sleep every night, I was just getting too much sleep. Like, and then I couldn't <laughs> sleep, you know. So it took a while to get, to get used to that. But, uh, yeah, that's you, you go from sleeping every other night because when you're at work, you usually didn't sleep. Oh, yeah. Especially Battalion 1. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's for sure. But it is something to be said about sleeping in – your own comfortable bed as opposed to the dorm bed, so to speak, of a fire station. Well, you know, we you know we joke, you know, what better job is there when you kind of work in the issue of sheets? Um, but we know you really don't sleep at a fire station. I mean, you're there. You may lay down off and on a couple times during the night, but you're never really sleeping. Some guys do. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I, I, I don't think I, you know, when I be, once I became a supervisor, it was almost like no sleep because you're constantly in tune to afraid to miss anything or so what was your uh what was your favorite assignment well like I, said, I mentioned the accreditation position was most influential but i'll say favorite assignment was probably my time as a company officer um at, at um fire station three i spent about six years as a captain there and um 
again, you're in charge, but you don't have all the responsibility. You set the tone for today, the pace for today. And we've, we've often preached that the company officer is the most influential position on the fire department because you control 100% of the equipment and 90% of the people. And just to be able to have that experience, that one-on-one -on -one dialogue, you know, with the troops and also the interaction with the community, emergency response posture, um, I think that was probably the, my most enjoyable time. Yeah. What about uh, Central Station ping pong? Yeah, well, well, <laughs> I do have a legendary paddle mounted in, in my office right now. Do you still have it? I, I do. And again, there, I mean, you, you never forget your first assignment. I mean, you really don't. And um, um, ping pong was a, a big part of, uh, you know, Station One culture. Um, I can remember, you know, more than once the table was upstairs and being called down to the uh, chief's offices, which was downstairs, where um, we'd have to clean plaster off his desk. Was, <laughs> you know, y'all getting too rowdy upstairs, so, you know. But um, they, there were some good times there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, going back, you remember your first assignment. My first assignment was Station 1, A-Shift, the likes of you, the Reaps, um, Barch, uh, a bunch of us. And it, it was a great time playing ping pong every night. And if we didn't play ping pong, we were making Chief Wilder mad playing cards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who had the most, you know, it's it's hard to say any one person, um, through a 30-year career, but if you had to just say one person had the most influence in shaping you. Yeah, I, that is a tough question because, I mean, you, you learn from your leaders. You learn a lot from your good leaders. You learn just as much, from, you know, from, from bad um, leadership examples. But if I would have to pick one person, I would say it probably would have been Chief Nichols um, simply because he made me do something I didn't want to do that proved to be one of the best things that ever happened to me in my career, you know, had he not, and I, I hate to say forced, but if he had not forced me to go in that position, um, I might still be a battalion chief on shift today. Chief. So, so inf influential, I, I definitely think that um, um, he, he definitely made a mark on it. And then after that, I went to work for um, who became chief major, um, excellent supervisor. And I think one of the greatest things he did for me was, was let me do my thing. You know, he was there for support and he was there for guidance, but he never micromanaged. And um, I think that was also very important in my career because it, it allowed me to grow naturally. Yeah, and uh, like you said, going to daytime and the accreditation, when you're sitting over at the operations, all you're thinking of is fire trucks, tactics, and then you go into that other side where you flip the page and you start seeing the and we're going to talk to planning research next month, but you start seeing the data and how all that different things come together to shape. Well, it is, like I said, and, and, and that assignment for accreditation was just a catalyst. Um, you know, I was also exposed, okay, hey, well, since you're up here, we want you to manage the budget. Um, since you're up here, hey, there's some grant opportunities. You want to write some grants? And um, so there were so many opportunities that I had there and exposure to things I would have never seen if I would stayed in the suppression world that we, that we talked about. Right. And it's, you know, it just takes that one person to kind of put you down a path you might not have expected and, and open up a whole other realm of the service. So that leads us up to 2019. You became uh, fire chief. Yeah, um, very unexpected. And, and again, I, I kind of alluded to earlier in, in career, you know, there, there's an adage, if you want your plans to change, just tell the Lord what they are. Uh, <laughs> and that's pretty much been the echo of my career. Um, didn't think I would have a career in the fire service. Uh, once I did, I never thought I'd have a career in the fire service outside of shift life um, and never dreamed of, of, 
becoming the fire chief, you know, here was, was never on my radar. But I tell you, when it, when it come that time, I felt like I was kind of obligated to it, number one. Um, we had always had fire chiefs promoted from within. They had never brought in an outside um, fire chief. And um, and then and being in the um, second position in an apartment at the time, it opened, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm obligated to it. I have to do this. And a selfish part of me was scared. Um, I know how it's work we had put in into the fire department. I was very proud of what we had accomplished. Um, through the accreditation, through um, improvement ISO rating, and I really just didn't trust anybody else with it. <laughs> you know, I was naive at the time um, to, to think one person could have that much influence. I know a little better now. Um, um, we've been around since 1791. One person is not going to make or break the fire department. We have a very, very strong team. Um, I mentioned a council last night that um, that we have, you know, plenty of talent on the bench. We have a uh, playbook that's proven to win Super Bowl. So one person is not going to come in and upset the apple cart. Um, but I'll tell you, it's, I've always considered working for the fire department as a privilege. Um, very, very proud of that. But nothing compares to the honor um, that's been to be able to lead the heroes in the, in the federal fire department. Um, just the sacrifices that I, I see you and, and your coworkers make every day to keep the um, community safe. And just to be allowed to to lead, you know, yeah. the, the group of people, it just, it's just it's been an honor more than what I deserve. And it's uh, an honor for us to have one of our own that come up, you know, through the ranks all the way up and, and reach the pinnacle. I think it's a two way two way street there. I would I'm fair to say. During your time as chief, what are what are some of the accomplishments you're most proud of? Well, I'll say my accomplishments, and I'll go back up a little bit further, maybe. So some of this happened before I transitioned to fire chief, but I think I was, you know, very instrumental, influential in that part. But I think my accomplishments are parallel or with the organizational accomplishments. Um, we talked about the the accreditation model with that. Um, currently now there's still just over 300 accredited departments in the world. Um, our ISO um, rating or public um, protection classification rating um, class one is the best you can get. You know, there's over 30,000 fire departments in the country. Uh, only 117 are both accredited and have an ISO class one rating. I mean, that's, that's world class. You know, that's, that's, that's in the top half of 1%. And um, that's something that, you know, by far I'm very proud of the department, and I celebrate that at every, every opportunity that, that I get. And do you feel that, you know, it did start back when you were a battalion chief and asked to get into it? And, and as you move up and we're, we're accredited now, did you feel extra pressure as the chief? Oh, yeah. Going yeah. in the next accreditation process? <laughs> like, don't let me be the one to screw this up or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely with that. And, you know, and w when you're driving, you feel, you know, you definitely feel like you have more control over process. Um, but you have to, you have to trust that you've prepared your people to, you know, take it to the next level um, and let go of the wheel. Um, and just and watch them grow and watch them develop. But there is a little bit of um, hesitancy. It's kind of like being a, a driver's ed instructor, you know, when you're sitting on the other side, you know, of the vehicle there. You, you know, you just have to have a lot of trust in, in, in the people that you got in position. But I've, I've never had a reason to worry. Right. So what are, uh, what are some of the challenges? Well, I think the um, organizationally, um, the challenges big we see right now is, is with staff and being able to um, 
to stave off some of the attrition, to keep employees long enough here to at least get our investment back in them. We spend a lot of money and time into training. And we have employees that leave within the first three years of, you know, of employment that we're not really getting the money back we've put into them. And slowly over time, that degrades our experience level. And you see, you know, probably in the field, you know, much clearer than, than I do from the office, that we may have a... Um, fire ground operation going on and the most senior firefighters got less than five years of experience on the ground and that, that bothers me I do, I do have concerns with that we try to make some of that up with with training increasing in training but that loss of experience through that growing attrition rate is is, is a challenge for the, for the organization I think for the fire chief for me the biggest challenge coming in was trying to serve so many masters you remember the the city's senior leadership team, um, but you also have to be a leader through the fire department. You also are a community leader, but you also have to you know, be there to support your family. So being pulled in so many different ways and, and trying to give 100% to everything is, you know, was a challenge for me to, you know, tr try to get priorities figured out and um, um, be able to adapt and, and cover all those bases. Yeah, it, it's a lot when you're the guy. <laughs> Everybody wants a little piece of your tail, right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it. And again, and and you know, we have three three hundred and fifty employees, um, about one hundred and fifty retirees at, at any one time on our books. And I consider our employees members of our department just as much as our current employees do. You know, so so there's always needs. There's always. If someone's in the hospital, someone's had a death in their family, somebody's having a baby being born. So there's so many things to celebrate um, with our, you know, with our staff and with our people outside of what we consider the business component of what the job is. So it is. You get, you get pulled in a lot of directions. But, and I said, you know, being able to balance all that has been probably my greatest challenge. And I'm glad you brought up, um, you brought up very beginning of the show that this is a family. And as a chief, when you have all these, it's like all your all your family members are having all these things. That's exactly right. And uh, I mean, I don't feel like I have to be there. I feel like I want to be there. Yes, so. absolutely. Uh, and I know of a uh, few few fires that I, I've seen you out in the middle of the night and Sunday nights. And yeah, I don't I don't come out to as many as, as I used to. But I'm starting to slow down a little bit. But um, but definitely, I mean that you know once it's in your blood that you know you feel like that's your place. And and I think it means a lot to especially young firefighters um when you're on one of these major incidents and oh wow it's two o'clock in the morning there there's chief of the fire department there to make sure everything's all right and all the needs are met all right right and there's a fine line you know I've, I've always tried to be there for support um but i've never wanted to be there feel like i need to take over or i didn't want my presence in any incident feel like i didn't trust anybody like i was having to watch over your shoulder so it's always been there just for support and I can I can attest to that because I, I think we had the family dollar up on Ramsey Street and didn't you realize you were there? You were kind of back in the corner a little bit behind the telephone pole. Yeah. <laughs> Just hiding out. Um, so many other accomplishments. Um, we talked about accreditation and ISO, but uh, how about our cancer initiative and how far that's come? Yeah, I, I think we've really pushed with that. Um, it's something I wish I had known more about as a young firefighter coming in. I, th I think we all wish we had known more about it. But, but once we recognized that the prevalence of cancer in our industry, um, we really um, put a lot of effort into trying to keep our firefighters as, as safe as possible. Great work with um, what was um, retired Captain Leonard and uh, now Chief Ferguson. Um, they spearheaded some, some programs and brought some great education in. 
Um, well, I mentioned in a few minutes talking about more grants. We were able to get some some grant money in that started our actual um, physical annual screening programs, which was very important for us. Um, we were very blessed with city council um, when we requested a second set of protective clothing for everybody to give us the ability to wash, you know, wash our um, turnout gear, um, but then also have a second set to wear for that next call. And uh, the, I think it was 2016 that they approved the you know, purchase of, of the second sets of gear. So um, we've, we've come a long ways. And really it's kind of um, encouraging now when, you know, I read article of things that you should do to prevent cancer in a fire service. We're already doing most all of them. So that's, I'm very proud of our department and our city that's been able to embrace that. Yeah, I think taking the initiative. So anything you would have done differently? I never say anything you regret. Anything you might have done differently? You know, I don't think so. Uh, again, like I said, I, I'm not sure that everything's worked out like I had planned it to start with. I definitely had some some assistance, some divine intervention that's probably put us on a better path. Um, but I really don't know of anything seriously. I, I joke that I would have never touched the um, uniform policy. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, it's, it's very personal, trying to please everybody. I learned really quick that's not going to happen. No, so. yeah. Um, I, I should have paid attention to my predecessors and just said, here's your uniform, wear it and be quiet. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, it, 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 in jest, um, I, I really don't know of anything that, that I would do differently. Do it all over again. So what's next? Again, I'm just long for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to throw much out there because it'll change. I'm leaving it to the Lord's hands. Wherever um, he, he leads me to be is where I'm going to go. I know in the short time, I'm going to go get back on the back of a fire truck. You know, why I still can, right. um, why I still enjoy it. Um, I've had, you know, several um, opportunities presented to, to do that on a part-time basis. Um, so I am going to take advantage of some of that um, in the interim until I figure out what I want to do when I grow up, you know, that kind of thing. That honeydew list? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I still, I've got a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting trips i got to make up for, too. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, sir, I, I appreciate it. It's been sure to have you on the radio today, and we wish you much luck in, uh, in your future endeavors. Well, thank you. Like I said, I'm... I'm not going anywhere. I've, you know, I'm only be a phone call away. Thank you. All right, back to our safety tip of the month, Christmas and Christmas tree safety. About 19 million Americans are going to decorate a real Christmas tree this year. Do you know that electrical problems are the source of nearly half of all Christmas tree fires? And also heat sources such as candles, heating equipment, placed too close to the tree cause 22% of home Christmas tree fires. Things to do, you want to check that tree regularly, make sure it's got water in it, make sure the tree isn't blocking any exits, and keep it at least three feet away from any heat sources. If you've got an artificial tree, you should make sure it's labeled, certified, or identified by the manufacturer as being fire retardant. Don't overload them extension cords and electrical outlets, and don't string together more lights than are recommended by the manufacturer. Always turn off your Christmas tree lights before leaving the home or going to bed. We want you to have a safe and Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us on the Fayetteville Fire Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Radio Fayetteville on your favorite streaming platforms to listen to all our podcasts. Next time, we will talk about planning and research. Until then, be safe.